Welcome to Best True Crime Podcast, a division of Best True Crime Books, Games, and Video, LLC. I'm your lead investigator on this case, Judith A. Yates, award-winning true crime author, a criminologist, and a paranormal explorer. Every episode is an investigation where you and I explore true crime, forensics, historic cases, dark history, and criminal theory. We discuss the cases, share information, no chatter, no commercials, no off-topic. Now, grab your crime scene kit, a notebook, and your favorite hat. This is Best True Crime Podcast. The dates are 1988 to 2002. The place is China. You are about to follow the crimes of China's most elusive serial killer. Using the FBI Behavioral Science Unit's profile on serial killers, look and see if you note any patterns or traits. He did not look menacing. He was a native of China, about five foot eight. His dark hair was short and parted on the side. His eyebrows were thin and in one photo, he stares into the camera, mouth slightly open. Law enforcement officers would later say his confession was so calm that it was terrifying. Interrogators did ask him why he murdered people. I feel anxious and flustered, he replied, and the only way to relieve it is by killing. His name was Gao Chinyong, a serial killer who struck two areas in China between 1988 and 2022. He was called China's Jack the Ripper. Gao Chinyong was born in November 1964. He grew up in the northeast province of China. His family, like their neighbors, were poor working farmers barely eking out a living. He was the youngest of eight siblings, the quiet one, the family's introvert. He was considered a dutiful son, caring for his paralyzed father, and he completed school and applied to university, but was repeatedly turned down. Gao attempted to become a certified pilot, but he failed. He blamed that on politics. Gao became just an unremarkable young man, so much so that after his later arrest, Neighbors would struggle to remember him. Until. Gal met a local woman, and they married in 1984. His wife would explain she loved Gal because he was this quiet, reliable, honest man, although her family did oppose her marrying him. Gal and his wife would eventually have two children. They lived in an apartment in a tan, boxy-type building as plain as his own personality. That was how it looked from the outside. Looking into Gao Chung's mind and soul was completely opposite. Gao's father died in 1984. The first known murder occurred on May 26, 1988. It was shortly after his child was born. Over the course of 14 years, Gao raped, murdered, and mutilated at least 10 women and one child. Investigators wouldn't have DNA, blood samples, handprints, footprints from all the crime scenes, but none of these matched any registered person. And we're going to get to that soon. But police had trampled crime scenes. They had a composite sketch of a perpetrator, but they didn't want to release it into the public for fear of causing a panic. And the one time that search dogs were used, they were used incorrectly. The date was May 26, 1988. 24-year-old Gal is riding his bicycle around at night, seeking homes to burglarize. He heard loud music coming from one home, parked his bike, and slipped inside the house. 
The music was coming from a new tape deck of a sleeping 23-year-old girl. She was a factory worker whose nickname was Little White Shoes. Gal was burglarizing the home, sifting through the drawers, when the girl awoke. To silence her, Gal strangled her, almost breaking the bones in her neck. Then he stabbed her 26 times and slashed her throat. After the murder, he sat looking through her photo albums, which he would burn. Officers would later find bloody handprints of the perpetrator on the inside thighs of the victim, but there was no sexual assault. Gal Chinyong would later explain he only sexually assaulted women he thought beautiful. Gal Chinyong developed an MO. He would usually operate during the daytime. He followed the victims home and when the women arrived at their door, he would blitz attack them and shove them inside their house. In July 1994, Gal was in an apartment building when he observed a woman mopping up the cafeteria floor at the Bayan Power Supply Bureau. He observed her rolling the bucket to a back door, tossing out the dirty mop water, and then she refilled it. When the woman returned, she saw shoe prints all over her clean floor. Gal appeared and she accused him of coming into the building to steal. The next day, the 19-year-old victim was found nude, dead of 36 stab wounds and her throat had been cut. A victim suffering from the same type of wounds was located in late 1998. Authorities did not release any other information to the public. They kept the record sealed. The victim was 29 years old. Gal had what profilers of serial killers call his cooling off periods. But then he would explain to an investigator, I just felt the need to kill someone. When he was trolling for victims, there was a strange type of rage in his heart, he self-reported, and it dissipated only when he committed a murder. He was self-admittedly not a clever criminal, not the greatest criminal, not even a smart guy. The one thing he did do was he put on dark clothing to mask any blood spatter as he left the crime scene. In 1998, Gao Yong struck at least three times. In January, he followed a female factory worker home. Gal stabbed her 18 times and removed her ear and a piece of her scalp. She was found nude. Three days later, the next victim was stabbed 18 times. Gal removed a portion of the victim's left breast and a section of flesh. On July 5th, Gal Yong was roaming the dormitory halls again at Bei Yin's Power Supply Bureau. He found an eight-year-old girl who was waiting at home for her parents. Gal murdered and sexually assaulted the girl. The eight-year-old was found in a closet, the belt used to strangle her still tied around her neck. After this murder, Gal stayed in the victim's house and fixed himself a cup of tea. Gal Chinyong had become the boogeyman of China, that scary creature lurking under the bed at night or maybe stashed away in the dark closet. The alleys and streets seemed to be a little darker, and a once friendly province now just seemed evil. They did not know his name, but they knew what he did. In their 30-plus years of marriage and raising their two sons, his wife had grown accustomed to Gal just disappearing without an explanation to eventually returning home for a short while. She lived with Gal leaving home, perhaps for days or even a week or longer, and he never explained the absences. She thought it might have been to find work. He was always returning with money, after all. And one of the times he deserted his family was just after the 1988 birth of their child. Even though the family was hungry, his wife said, Gal just left them. 
And all this time, Gao led an unassuming life managing the store with his wife. The store was a somewhat worn building. Large red banners advertising Coca-Cola framed the entrance. There were large rectangular windows running the front length of the building. Inside, the store was small, with a glass showcase in front. Behind that, the walls were covered with all different kinds of shelved items for sale. And green ivy was painted in one corner of the white walls, maybe as a means to cheer it up. At some point, Gao Chinyong's family moved into a squat brown house. There was a circle of large concrete blocks in the dirt front yard for sitting and visiting. The home was typical of that in the area, indicative of low wages and sometimes worn, maybe physically, maybe mentally. In 2001, an older woman was walking home at dark. The fireworks of the Chinese New Year were lighting the sky overhead. The gold, red, green tracers, they seemed to be following her, popping, exploding in the sky. Something else was following her home, and it was not festive. As she arrived at her front door, something rushed her, slamming her into the door. The woman screamed, fighting off her attacker, and managed to squeeze into her house and slam the door on him. Her husband came running, and hysterically his wife reported a man just attacked her, yes, at their own doorway. They phoned the police. The man and woman went to the window to see if they could identify the attacker, and there he stood, looking back at them from the other side of the glass. Like some serial killers, to include America's Ted Bundy, Gao Chinyong attacked smaller, frail women, and he caught them off guard. But Ted Bundy ran when confronted. Gao Chinyong stood there, in the windows outside, grinning maniacally at the woman who had just escaped him. But when the police arrived, the perpetrator was already gone. A few months after this failed attack, Gao murdered a nurse, 28 years old, who lived near another victim. And in 2002, there was a last victim. The 25-year-old woman was found after the murder 10 days later. She was nude, her throat was cut, and she had been raped. Gao by this time was 38 years old, no longer the charmer he once was. By 2003, a profile had been drawn up by the experts. Investigators stated the removal of the victim body parts was surgical. It was done so neatly, they wondered if a surgeon or a doctor was the perpetrator. They began comparing him to Jack the Ripper, that nameless, faceless serial killer who roamed London's seamy streets. The Ripper also attacked vulnerable women, slashing throats and mutilating bodies. In some cases, the Ripper surgically removed organs. The Ripper's spree was in the 1880s, and he was never caught. Gao Chenyong's finale would not mimic the Ripper. Gao's murders increased in number and in viciousness. A female factory worker's mother found the girl's body in a pool of blood in her home. The victim had been stabbed 22 times, her throat cut, and the hands, breasts, and genitals were missing. Again, Gao had followed her home and attacked her in the doorway, pushing her inside. But cutting her up, Gao would later tell police, took all of five minutes. He removed the organs of the victims who fought him, he would say, as punishment. Perhaps he had grown too old to continue. Perhaps he never had that anxious feeling again, only satisfied with a vicious murder. But Gao stopped killing in 2002. In 2003, 
China had 57 known serial killers, according to their reports. The number was higher than Mexico and higher than Brazil. Police linked the 11 murders for the first time in 2004 and offered a reward for information leading to the arrest of China's Jack the Ripper. The investigators, the police, anyone attached to this case had been threatened with their jobs and the loss of the case if anyone leaked anything to the press. China began DNA samples of all men and boys in an effort to identify criminals and to cut down on the rising crime rate. Something as simple as a traffic ticket meant the male had to submit to a DNA test. This tiny glass microscope slide, no bigger than Gao's finger, would be his downfall. A family member committed a minor offense and was subjected to giving a DNA sample. This routine DNA test established a familial relationship to the killer. And a match came through. With more police work, DNA had been collected from China's Jack the Ripper crime scenes, and officials went to test Gao's DNA, and he had to abide by law with a blood sample. It was after this test, Gao's wife would say, that her husband was no longer the quiet, reliable, honest man. He was hit with huge bouts of insomnia. His hands often shook. The man she married was even more distant, seeming to be ruminating over something he could not or would not share. By now, many neighbors embraced Gal. He was an old man who, with dedication, nursed a sick father, raised two children, and had his own business. What a good man, and so quiet, they said. The truth is, Gao was rarely at home and almost never worked in the store. Gao and his wife were at their store when police pulled up to leap outside of the squad cars. His wife watched helplessly as her 52-year-old husband was being handcuffed and led away. It was August 2016. His arrest ended a 28-year hunt for China's most elusive serial killer. So why didn't the DNA catch him earlier? Several murders were tied together through DNA, but not any DNA registered in Baiyan province. When the linked murders were committed, Gao never registered in Baiyan. He was registered in the province where he lived, Gansu, and Baiyan did not have a proper crime forensics laboratory until 2010. Too soon, Gao's wife learned of the reason for his arrest. I really still can't accept it, she would say in an interview for a Gansu province newspaper. She had never suspected Gao Chenyang of such crimes, and certainly not these horrific, horrible murders. Perhaps it was all a terrible mistake. She hoped. Like the innocent families of so many criminals, his family lost the store and was forced to move. Gao's wife hired a vehicle to pack up the family's belongings. They lost their small grocery store because Gal was stripped of all his assets when he was found guilty in court. The Ministry of Public Security would publicly report Gal confessed to 11 murders on March 30, 2018. By now, Gal's hairline had begun to recede and his hair was turning gray. There were bags under his eyes. He was of medium build, but his tummy protruded under his shirts and he sat in a room at the police station and confessed his crimes. There were only 11 murders, he said. One in 1988. One in 1994. One in 1997. There were four murders in 1998. 
There was one victim in 2000, two dead in 2001, and the last was in 2002. Most of the victims were in their mid-20s, and his crime spree lasted from 1988 to 2002. What about on July 5, 1988? You killed an 11-year-old girl, the interviewing officer said. How old was your son when this happened? Gao responded, 10 years old. The investigator later told the press, I stared at him. He stared back for almost 10 seconds. Then he bowed his head. The officer admits he had a fist in the air, poised and ready to punch this monster in the face. There were no interrogation techniques needed. Gal calmly admitted to the murders, the rapes, the dishonoring corpses. He said he sometimes raped the women when they were alive. Others, he committed necrophilia. He robbed the victims, which explained how he came home with money after abandoning his family. His wife never questioned it, nor was his family involved in any way. Law enforcement officers would say this confession was so calm, it terrified them. Yes, he did cut off body parts, he explained, but no, he never kept them. He just tossed them into a river. By now, he was a pudgy old man with a big belly. His head was shaved bald. In March 2018, Gal was tried in a court of law. It was a trial lasting three days. On March 30, 2018, Gao Chinyong was convicted of intentional homicide, rape, dishonoring corpses, and robbery. The sentence? Death. He bowed three times to the victim survivors and expressed his desire to be an organ donor. Gao Chinyong, China's Jack the Ripper, was executed on January 3, 2019. China law prevents announcing the method of execution or where the execution takes place. The most common execution methods in China are lethal injection or firing squad. Now, here's an interesting little part to this case. There is a test called HTP, horse tree person, and it's a projective test measuring different aspects of personality. At an unknown date, the test was conducted on Gao Chenyang. In his drawing, all but the house is one-dimensional. He draws a bare tree with limbs balancing equally on both sides. The limbs grow shorter as the tree gets higher. One of the bottom limbs is visibly more pointed. It actually resembles a blade from a knife. The person he drew appears nude, facing to the left of the page, and we only see this one side. The person is drawn on the bottom edge and appears from the knees up. And the house is two-dimensional, square, with only a front door and two windows to decorate it. In an article on January 28, 2023, an unnamed journalist on inf.news reviews Gao's drawing and what it reveals of his personality. The home is like a temple. It lacks warmth and love and lacks emotional communication and association. A dead tree represents a lack of vitality and a lack of heart. A branch that is shaped like a knife indicates that he has a strong impulsiveness and aggression. Nude figures show that his moral concept is weak. The figure has no feet and the lower part of his body is incomplete showing a life state that cannot be down to earth and a wandering and helpless mentality. And that is the story of Gao Chenyong, China's Jack the Ripper.
True Crime Games announces its premier game, Survive the Titanic, the card game. In this game, you will meet survivors, gather equipment, and relive history. This card game combines skill and strategy with history and lore. But will you survive? The object of the game is to collect a set number of survivors and pieces of equipment into your lifeboat before Titanic sinks. But don't add luggage and watch out for those SOS cards. Just like an iceberg, the speed of a ship, or weather conditions, certain cards can change your plans in one turn. The RMS Titanic was the most luxurious ship to sail the oceans, the largest man-made object on Earth in her time. On April 10, 1912, the Titanic set sail for her maiden voyage to New York. On April 14, Titanic struck an iceberg. Two hours and 40 minutes later, she disappeared into the sea, taking 1,496 souls to the bottom of the ocean. Now you can travel back to 1912 and this exciting, engaging card game. As the game moves along, you will learn fascinating facts about the Titanic passengers that don't often make headlines, collect vital life-saving equipment from 1900s ocean travel, and discover objects on the RMS Titanic Manifest. The game is also a memorial to those lost in the hopes you will allow their legacy to live on. Some proceeds will be donated to a nonprofit organization that supports this mission. For more information, go to www.besttruecrime.com and click on Games. Now, boarding passes, please. Boarding passes. I'm Raven Rollins, and this is my Southern True Crime podcast where I discuss cases from my former hometown. Ada, Oklahoma paints itself as an average community, but its history of murder and corruption runs deeper than any story has ever told. You'll hear plenty of special guests, including authors and experts in their fields, who visit with me on each episode, as well as other cases in the Southern states. With notorious and unknown cases alike, every victim sees the light on my show. This is Sirens, a true crime podcast. Thank you for joining me on this investigation, exploring true crime, forensics, historic cases, dark history, and criminal theory. This is Best True Crime Podcast. No chatter, no commercials, no off-topic. I do hope you will subscribe. This podcast runs off donations only. You can drop us a donation... $35 or more, and I'll send you a signed book. Just go to www.besttruecrime.com. My name is Judith A. Yates, award-winning true crime author, a criminologist, and a paranormal explorer. Thank you for joining me on Best True Crime Podcast, a division of Best True Crime Books, Games, and Video, LLC. Be safe out there.